Welcome to Slew Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. Every year, petitions for clemency collect on the governor's desk. Recently, the case of Timothy Prosser has gained attention. The Riverfront Times chronicled the story of this Missouri man who was sentenced to life in prison for nonviolent crime. I'm Corey Dugas, and today we are joined by John Ammon, McDonald Professor of Justice in American Society, Supervisor in SLU's Civil Advocacy Clinic, and one of the founders of the Community Coalition for Clemency. Every year, John and his students petition the governor for clemency on behalf of their clients. Thank you for joining us, John. Thank you. Well, first, can you discuss um, what's going on with clemency and why there's a need for these petitions that we're seeing? Well, two, two parts to that, Corey. First one is uh, this is a, the prime time for clemencies. Uh, Governor Nixon has about three months left in his term. President Obama has about three months left in his term. So this is the crucial time as a sitting governor or president is leaving office when they traditionally would do most clemencies. Now, President Obama, to his credit, is, has done hundreds of them already. Uh, Governor Nixon has only done a handful. But this is the prime time because neither of them are running for office. There's no political fallout if they grant clemency. So... Um, that's what's happening now. This is the prime time between now and the middle of January. That's when we're going to see the, the most clemencies of, uh, of their terms. Now, as to the importance of it, clemency really is the last check in the judicial system, in the criminal justice system, to correct injustices. Um, you've got the jury, you've got the courts, you've got the appellate courts. But even after all that, there are flaws in the system. Uh, and in the case of the people we, re we represent, the sentence they got 30 years ago, they would not get today for the same crime. It would be far less. So to correct things like that, uh, maybe laws have changed, attitudes have changed. Uh, we, we don't tend to incarcerate people for nonviolent drug mm -hmm. offenses like we did even 10 years ago, like in Tim Prosser's case. So what people have to remember is it, it is a way to correct injustice, but it's really about mercy. Um, and when we handle these, we don't go to the governor and we don't say, well, they're innocent or they didn't really do it or anything like that. We, we assume that the governor will assume the worst. Take your worst view of the case, but say that 30 years is enough. Show some mercy. Show that these people have potential to live outside the institution and, and show some mercy. So clemency, the, the real word to describe it is it's mercy. And that's a really different idea than what you see through most of the justice system, correct? This idea of mercy is very different than all the other steps. Yeah, the opposite is three strikes and you're out, mm -hmm. and let's throw the book at them and lock them up forever. And, um, you know, that attitude that we had for a long time is really falling by the wayside. So we, we've come a long way in realizing that uh, you've heard a lot lately, post-Ferguson particularly, about the over-incarceration of people, and mm -hmm. it tends to fall more heavily on the minority population. But we have far too many people in prison. We make a visit uh, every semester to the women's prison in Chillicothe, where uh, most of our clients are, and, and I always leave and look at back at, at the institution thinking, what a waste of human potential. Mm -hmm. Here's 1,500 women who could be taking care of their grandchildren or children or working or contributing to society and they're not a threat they're not violent and yet we pay to lock them up in an institution where um, they can't help the rest of us 
So it sounds like all this clemency work is really important and it's what's happening right now. And so this moment in time is very important, but you've been working on these issues for well over a decade. Can you tell us about how you got started and what your work was? Yeah, Corey, in the late 1990s, we had the Battered Women's Clemency Coalition. Uh, It was a coalition of all four Missouri law schools, um, Missouri Coalition Against Domestic Violence, which has now added sexual assault to its name, um, and some other groups. And we had 11 women uh, seeking clemency through us for um, crimes, usually killing a, an abusive spouse or boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, all 11 women eventually were released. Uh, we were shooting for clemency. Some got parole later on. Our clemency hopes were very much affected by the death of Governor Carnahan. And when he was leaving office um, in um, late 2000, early 2001, he had indicated he was going to going to grant many clemencies and maybe some for our group, the, mm-hmm. the Bannered Women. Um, but as you recall, in the fall of 2000, during the campaign when he was running for U.S. Senate, tragic plane crash in Jefferson County. His son died. The pilot died. They went down in a storm, uh, and he was killed. It was a big loss for the state of Missouri, a mm-hmm. uh, terrible loss for the state. Um, but selfishly for us, it was a big loss for our, our women in the clemencies because uh, for many years, nothing happened. Uh, he, he wasn't able to grant them. The interim governor, governor did not grant any. So it's been a long fight. Um, uh, governor Holden did grant uh, a couple, and then we were able to get parole. But we're happy to say that those original 11 women are all out. But now we have 15 more women in similar circumstances and we formed a new coalition called the Community Coalition for Clemency. Um, and that's a collaboration of many of the same people uh, to advocate for, for these women. And, um, you know, four of them are over 67 years old. Several of them wow. have served mm-hmm. more than 30 years in prison. Um, so our real message to the governor is it's enough. For the crimes that they committed, and most of them were not directly involved in, in the murder uh, most of them have murder charges, not all of them. But um, 30 years by today's standards is, is plenty of time. It's a lot of time. And so these these original 11 women, they've all moved through the system, and it's, it's all had a positive outcome. And then you're seeing this new group of 15 that are coming in. Um, so unfortunately, this issue is not one that is really being fixed. You were going to continue to see these women as a part of the system. So what are some of the roadblocks that we're seeing as as issues to getting them clemency? Um, We testified in Jefferson City a couple of times about bills for geriatric parole, for example, uh, and other issues with parole um, and that sort of thing. And, And the conservative attitude in Missouri is that well, they committed a crime, they killed someone, they have to pay the, the price, and whatever the price was at the time, they should serve their time. We've also made the economic argument that, you know, we're paying about $20,000 a year to incarcerate these mm-hmm. women and men. Uh, and the conservative response usually is, well, if they get out, they're probably going to go on welfare anyway, disability, or whatever. Uh, that may be true if they're not able to work. I mean, you know, one of our women, Verdia Miller, is 74 years old. Yeah, she, she's going to apply for Social Security, yeah. no question. Yeah. But uh, she was a nurse uh, in her life. She paid into Social Security. Uh, she deserves those benefits. And the fact she might collect Social Security when if she gets out should not prevent us from, from doing that. And, and there is some legitimate cost shifting. I mean, the state of Missouri pays all the 
the room and board for its prisoners. But if somebody's on Social Security, that's a federal system. So Missouri could save money by reducing the prison population. And if I can talk about the geriatric parole thing for a minute, if we have time. Go right ahead. Um, Our dean, Mike Wolf, has often said the Missouri Department of Corrections is fast becoming the biggest nursing home in the state, and he's exactly right. We have uh, people aging in prison with life sentences, um, and within a very few years, uh, you're going to have huge geriatric wards at the state prisons. And, Corey, the, the most egregious cases we've seen, we have people in their 80s who have Alzheimer's, yeah. dementia. They don't know they're in prison. Oh, <laughs> so that's heartbreaking. Yeah. We're incarcerating people who don't know why they're in this place yeah. and they don't know what the place is. To continue to incarcerate people like that just makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. I, the, that's difficult to hear those sort of stories and hear that that's what's happening. So... Uh, John, can you give us some examples or some stories that have really touched you about some of these women that you're working with? Uh, good question. Um, there are very many sympathetic stories out of stories from the 15 women we represent. Um, one of our oldest clients, I mentioned Verdia Miller, mm-hmm. 74 years old, uh, convicted of a murder, uh, sentenced to life without parole for uh, at least 50 years. She's been in prison for 35 years. She did not directly participate in the crime. Wrong place at the wrong time. A person got murdered. She happened to be there. Um, And what I would say, Corey, about a lot of these cases, women get harsher sentences for murder than men. It's interesting. And the reason is women aren't supposed to do that. If a guy commits, you know, a murder, stabs somebody in a barroom fight, well, you know, that's boys. It's more expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when women do it, we we see much harsher sentences. Another case is Judy Henderson. She's 67 years old, a grandmother. She's been in prison 35 years. She has a minimum of 50-year sentence. Um, She participated in a robbery. Um, There's no dispute about that. Uh, A boyfriend led her to the robbery, committed the robbery. Um, He shot and killed the store owner. Uh, She was there, um, So, and she doesn't deny that. Uh, but she got a very harsh sentence and did not pull the trigger, did not um, uh, kill the person mm-hmm. directly. In fact, what's strange about her case is she was actually shot herself wow. by uh, a ricochet bullet during the robbery. So she was injured in this act She as was well. injured, yeah. And uh, there was conflict of interest with her lawyers, uh, a, a lot of complications. Give you one more example of a case where there was not violence involved, um, uh, where no one got hurt physically. Renee Green, she's uh, 60 years old. She was convicted in 1989 to pharmacy robbery. So there's a crime in Missouri called pharmacy robbery. And we made it a separate crime because of the, the drug problem. So we know everywhere that people addicted to drugs will do anything to get drugs, including robbing pharmacies. We do hear that, yes. And she had a drug problem, and this is 27 years ago, and she um, robbed a pharmacy with Mm -hmm. a gun, fired no shots, no one was injured, and I'll be the first to recognize that there's trauma and emotional harm that these people suffered from the robbery. Of course. Mm -hmm. But but no one was physically hurt, Um, and she has a 30-year sentence, um, and 
there are only we can only find two other cases where people have been convicted of pharmacy robbery in Missouri. They're both men and they both had shorter sentences. So she has the harshest sentence ever in Missouri for pharmacy robbery uh, and is the only woman convicted of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are some of the stories. We have um, nine women we represent at the clinic. The whole coalition has a total of 15 women. Other groups represent some of the others. But um, we've got grandmothers, mothers. uh, We've got people aging in prison. They have great institutional records. They are not a problem in prison. Uh, For every one of them, they had no prior crimes of violence. Okay, that's important, though, to note. These yeah. are not career criminals. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to commit crimes. The you know, 74-year-old woman does not go out and rob a bank tomorrow if she gets out of prison. So they all have families. They all have plans for when they get out, uh, if they get out. So, um, and they're all very faithful people. But, you know, they're praying about this. And, they're, and, and what strikes us all the time, Corey, is this. The women are always more concerned about each other than they are themselves. I get calls almost every day from our clients in prison. And invariably they'll call to say so-and-so's in the infirmary or, mm-hmm. um, you know, another one of the women lost a grandchild to a disease or somebody's son died or whatever. So they always, they always call the report on each other and how they're doing, which is really heartwarming. So our visits to the prison, we look forward to them. Um, and we really view it as part of the Jesuit mission you know, being present to others mm-hmm. um, when, when we go. And that compassion certainly does line up with our mission, and it sounds like these women are expressing it towards each other and not just to others outside of the system. The last woman that you mentioned participated in a nonviolent crime, and we've seen recently and we've heard about Timothy Prosser as being a recent case who also participated in a nonviolent crime and was sentenced to life in prison. Would you mention a little bit about what, what happened with Timothy and, and how that case is moving forward? So, um, yeah, Prosser's case, is, Tim Prosser's case uh, is one where he was convicted of drug trafficking. And I guess what I'd say, a slight amendment to what you said, the uh, the pharmacy robbery would be viewed as a crime of violence because she oh, okay. threatened people with a gun. So I don't want to minimize that. good for the that. clarification. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for Tim Prosser, what... Uh, the reporter from the Riverfront Times did a good story and dug up that he's the only person uh, in, uh, that has a life sentence without parole for drug trafficking. Um, Tim is a case, and we use this in the petition, where he got caught up in the opioid abuse uh, problem. Which is a, a big deal, in, especially in Missouri, yeah. We've learned more about that in the last 12 months than we have in the last 12 years. And... Everybody's familiar with it. People have family members, you know, they have surgery, they get the opioids, they get the pain pills, and they take them for a couple weeks, and it feels pretty good, and they keep taking them. Other people get a hold of them, abuse them, whatever. So Tim had some health problems, some surgeries, shoulder problems, things like that, and he was legitimately prescribed opioids. And uh, for some people, it leads to heroin addiction, and Mm -hmm. for Tim, it led to a meth addiction. So there's no question he had a problem. But, but here's what we do in Missouri, Corey. We don't provide enough drug treatment and inpatient treatment and counseling. We just send them right to a mm-hmm. prison bed. So if we had more prevention and more treatment while people were out. So, so Tim was overprescribed the opioids, used them. It led to um, his use of, of meth. Um, 
and we realize, you know, he, he understands he did something uh, wrong. He did something that hurt the community. Um, but to keep him in prison the rest of his life, um, you know, by today's standards, we talked about this earlier, uh, by today's standards, he probably wouldn't get the same mm-hmm. sentence, especially in the federal system. I mean, with President Obama's clemencies, you know, we've really lightened up on the sentences for people involved in drugs. But even for violent crimes, if if two guys get in a barroom fight today and one stabs the other and he dies, you might get 12 years, 15 years. Um, we were talking to one of our Irish students um, since we have a great program, the exchange program with Ireland. One of mm-hmm. our visiting Irish students is working on clemency. And she said, in Ireland, a life sentence is 18 years. She said, you killed three people and you get a life sentence, but a life sentence means 18 years. And and the logic is that after 18 years in prison, that's enough. Mm-hmm. That I mean, think about our 74-year-old woman who's been in prison 35 years. Does year 36 in prison really do us any good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that, what, what does that add to feed her and house her and provide her medical care for another year? What are we getting out of that? So, so you've talked a lot about these individual cases and how they've, how they've meant something personally to you um, and, and impact, impacted you and your students, I assume, as well. Why is all of this work so important to us? Well, um, we're really driven by the, the Jesuit mission and service to others. And, and one thing I'd say uh, about the, the visits to the prison, we always leave and I talk to the students that the result of the legal work is not as important as the visit itself. You know, what Christ said is, you know, you vi- when I was in prison, you visited me. He did not say, when I was in prison, you got me out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so the visit is enough. Um, now we're going to try to do great legal work. We're going to try to get clemency. But just being present for people in need in a homeless shelter or in a nursing home or a prison, uh, I think is important for the students. And I've never had any student who was not appreciative of the, the opportunity. And I think we need to do more of that. Um, you know, we have great discussions about the school-to-prison pipeline and over-incarceration but it really takes on a different meaning if a student meets somebody who is in prison for the rest of their life. Absolutely. This discussion of compassion and mercy, um, all wrapped up in this clemency petitions that you're working on, has, has been really enlightening today, and I'm so glad that we were able to have you on the show, John. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.